let me ask you this question. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? I'm not talking about your physical appearance. Like for me, I'd love to grow more hair. Doesn't happen the older I get. But if you could change one thing about you, not dealing with looks, just maybe about your character, maybe your struggles, like what would be the one thing that you would want to change about yourself? Maybe you've got this lingering sin, something that you've kind of held on to for years. You're like, I'd love to get rid of that. Maybe you're like, well, I, I would love to grow deeper in my faith. I'd love to be a more mature Christian. Maybe you're like, well, man, I've struggled with, with pride or fear and anxiety. Or, or, or maybe I've got this addiction I've held on to. Like, like what would you want to change about yourself? Here's my question. How do you go about doing that? When you think about these changes we want to make in our life, and we all have these areas that we recognize I like to grow and I like to get better in, like, like how do you go about changing? Because for many of us, what we do is we think, oh man, this is what I want to change. And so what do we do? We try harder, right? We're going to try, we're, we're going to have willpower. We're going to just try really hard to, to change. And, and, and I'll tell you, I've been there in my life. Little story from us several years ago, there was this issue that kept popping up in our marriage. And it wasn't dealing with my wife, it was dealing with me, where I had this fear of transparency. You know, like those deep things of my heart, you know, things like my struggles and my fears and my failures. I found myself having a really hard time actually talking about those things with my wife, Samantha. In part, that was due to some of my childhood experiences growing up, where I had this debilitating fear that I was going to be abandoned. I had abandonment issues from my childhood, so I had this fear that if I was transparent with my wife, that she would leave me and wouldn't love me. And I, I know you're wondering, like, like, that's ridiculous. Who wouldn't love this, right? Like, what was I so worried about? But I'm honest, every time this happened, Every time we'd have this conversation about, Kevin, how come there's this thing? Every time we talked about it, I'd have this stronger willpower. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go do it. I was determined. And I'd go, and I'd buy some books about how to be transparent and how to have good communication. I would talk to some mentors. I'd talk to some people about it. I'd join a Bible study, and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I'll be honest, sometimes there was some short-term success. But I found this issue just kept coming back up again and again. And see, for many of us, this is what we do when it turns to us trying to grow and to overcome issues and to change. As we look and we think, well, I want more of Jesus in my life. I want to overcome some issues. I want to change part of my character that I recognize is not where I want it to be. I want to be a better Christian. I want to experience the freedom and the abundant life that Jesus talks about. And so oftentimes we fight our battles just like that. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to find a new philosophy. I'm going to go find a new book that tells me how to find freedom. I'm going to go and find a church and a pastor that says, hey, here's five steps to becoming a better husband. Here's, here's four ways to find freedom. And so we look for all these things. We look around and say, well, look at that person. That person seems to have it figured out. I'm just going to do and try and copy what they do. And I can't speak for you, but I will speak for me. That when I got in that cycle of just trying harder, I found it to be exhausting. 
Like here I am, like Jesus says, hey, I, I want to give you freedom. I want to give you abundant life. And as I found myself in that cycle of just trying harder, and that's not freedom. That's not abundant life. When we find trying harder doesn't work, what do we do next? You know, we try harder and we find, well, maybe there's short-term success, but it's not long-term. What do we do next? Next, we fake it, right? How many of you have been in that situation where you kind of faked your Christian life? Maybe you know somebody who's faked their Christian life like a hypocrite. You know, that is probably one of the most damning things about Christianity is when us as Christians, we fake it. Look, I'm really godly. I got it all figured out. When underneath the surface, we're struggling and there's not freedom. Or either we try harder or we fake it or we just give up totally. We decide, you know, I cannot change. Change is not possible. I can't change myself, so I give up trying. We look and we say, well, the church, the Bible, they don't have the answer, and we just give up. And again, we're talking about how how Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. I came to give you freedom. It's not freedom and giving up. You're still bound by those same issues. In fact, I was thinking about this this week. I've I've been a, a Christian for almost 22 years now. I've been in Christian leadership for 16 years. I had the privilege of serving at Madison House for uh, seven and a half years, and I've been to have the privilege of being a pastor here at Restoration for the past nine years. I know some of you have done leadership longer than I have, and I'm thankful for your wisdom. But what I found is, is the longer that I'm a Christian, the longer I'm in leadership, people will come up and say, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, my life's a mess. Can you tell me how to fix my life? Can you fix my life? They'll say, hey, hey, pastor, our marriage is falling apart. We need to have our marriage rescued. They'll say, hey, hey, hey pastor, I'm addicted to this thing. Would you help me find freedom? Pastor, someone I love, they're headed down the wrong road. We need to, we need to save them. We need to fix their life. You know, the longer I follow Jesus, I've had this increasing self-awareness that with all of my wisdom, all of my preaching, all of my knowledge, I can't change anybody's life, right? Like, I've never saved anyone. I've never changed anyone's life. And I know some of you are like, well, well, crap, like I came to church because I was looking for answers, right? And now the pastor just said he has not ever seen that. No, don't get me wrong here. I have seen a ton of lives changed. I've seen God do some tremendous things, but it's not because of my wisdom. It's not because of my knowledge. It's not because of any power I contain. See, I've seen lives change. I've seen marriages rescued, not because of my power, but the power of God through the gospel. Because I can't change anybody. But the gospel is the power of God to change lives. This month, we're celebrating this new building that God has provided for us. And so we're having some conversations about our family values. These are the characteristics that we want to define our church and how we interact with one another, uh, how we interact with the community. These are the things that we want to be known for. This is who we are as a church. And these values are incredibly important because when people walk in the door, when people walk into the doors of this church, We want them to say, man, there's something different about that place. What is it? 
And we want them to see some of these values that we have with one another. Today, we're going to be talking about faith. Uh, not the faith to become a Christian. And we're going to talk about the faith that comes after we become a Christian. Like, how do we, how do we get all that we can out of the Christian life? How do we become mature Christians? How do we grow as Christians? How do we overcome sin and some of these issues we find in our life? How do we find that abundant life and that freedom that Jesus came to give us? So as we're talking about our family values, last week we talked about the value is that we love outrageously. And today's value is that we are a gospel people. Restoration Church, we are a gospel people. See, when, when you come to church, like I want you, I do, I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear what Jesus did for you on the cross because this is what makes you a Christian. This is what adopts you into the family of God. This is what forgives you of sin and secures your spot in eternity in heaven is all about the gospel, what Jesus did for you. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn Salvation, it is simply the grace and a gift of God. But in terms of growing as a Christian, in terms of overcoming sin, of changing, listen, the power of God is not found in us trying harder. It's found through the power of the gospel, what God has done for us. In fact, there's a pastor by the name of J.D. Greer, and this is what he said. He said, religion can tell you what to do. Namely, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Religion can do that. But he says, but it's the power of the gospel alone that gives you the power to actually do it. That is what we're talking about today. How we believe the gospel to save us. We believe the gospel is what makes us a Christian. And we believe that the gospel is what fuels us to live the Christian life. This morning, the passage that Jake read for us about a out of the book of Colossians chapter 2. A little context for this book. The apostle Paul wrote this book to a church uh, plant similar to us in a city by the name of Colossia, Colossi. And uh, he's writing this book about the absolute, absolute supremacy, the absolute sufficiency of Jesus, that Jesus is enough for our life, for our faith, for our salvation. Jesus is enough. In fact, in the end of chapter 1 of, uh, of the book of Colossians, he, he, Paul details like how he has diligently labored amongst the Colossians. He says, look, I have sacrificed for you. I have, I have served you so that you would know what Jesus has done for you. It's all about the gospel. He says, I have done all of this so that you would know what Jesus has done for you. And then he says in verse 6, he says, this is all I've done for you so you would know Jesus. Verse 6, he says, therefore... Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus. And I want to just pause and, and ask that question. He said, as you have received Christ Jesus. How does somebody receive Jesus? Like this is, be clear, this is a gospel message. This is how you receive Jesus. It is super clean and clear and simple. See, we were created for a relationship with God. God created us to have a relationship with him. And when we have a relationship with him, that is when we experience all those things we long for, peace and acceptance and love and joy. But the story goes that when Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, when they ate the fruit, sin entered the world. 
And as a result of that, humanity has had a strained relationship with God ever since then. We've been separated from him. But God looks at us and says, man, because I love you, because I love people, God sent his son Jesus to the earth to live the life that you and I couldn't live, to go to the cross and suffer in our place, to pay the penalty that we deserved. We deserve death because of our sin. But God sent Jesus there to the cross to take our penalty upon himself. Jesus died in your place. He took that punishment upon himself. He died in your place and then was buried and rose again three days later, conquering Satan and sin and death and hell to give us freedom so we could have our relationship with God restored so we could have that peace and that joy. And here's the thing. The gospel is simply received. Jesus is simply received by, by believing in Jesus and receiving what he has accomplished for you. The gospel is not done on anything that we can do. I can't earn God's grace. I can't earn God's forgiveness. I can't earn anything that God could do. It is simply something I have to receive by grace. That's the gospel message. And so what Paul is saying is, as you have received Jesus Christ, have you, have you received him? Not by trusting your own works, but by trusting what Jesus has done for you. He's saying, as you have received Jesus, so, verse 6, continue, so continue to walk in him. Did you hear that? As received him by grace, by faith, by receiving what he's done for you, he says, I want you to continue to walk in that. See, what he's saying is if, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to be mature and godly, if you want to overcome some of the issues in your life, his instruction is not that we, not that we need to walk harder, try harder. His instruction is not that you need to jump through a bunch of hoops and, and try a bunch of things. His instruction is that you continue to walk and live in the same way that you became a Christian. Not by trusting in your own works, not by trusting what you can accomplish in your own strength, but by trusting in what Jesus has done for you. By resting in the fact that Jesus went to the cross in your place. In fact, look what he says in verse 7. He says, uh, as you've received Christ, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. See, Paul's giving us a little bit of a building metaphor. When you're building something, the foundation, the foundation is the most important part of any structure. My architect friends would agree with that, right? And in fact, yesterday, my, my, my father-in-law said, hey, could you come and build a staircase for me? So I'm at my in-law's house. I'm building a staircase. And I'll tell you what, I spent hours working on the staircase, on the foundation of it. By the time I got the foundation, I was able to put in the slats and the top and to make it look pretty. That didn't take very long at all. But I spent so much time working on the foundation. Why? Because the foundation is what's going to make that thing solid. When my kids come sliding down that, uh, that, that, that railing, if the foundation isn't strong, they're going to topple the whole thing over. The foundation is important. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you want freedom, if you want abundant life, if you want to overcome sin and struggles in your life, you've got to have a strong foundation. A 
foundation not built on your strengths, not built on your works, not built on what you can accomplish, but the foundation has to be in the gospel, in what Jesus has done for you. He continues in verse 8. It says, I want you to see to it that no one takes you captive with philosophy or empty deceit or human traditions or elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. See, the message of the gospel is radical. It is so radical in our culture, in our world, right? Because just about everything in our world is based on our accomplishments. It's based on what we do, right? You go to school, and what do you do? You study, and you turn in some assignments, and you take some tests, and when you're done, you are rewarded with a grade, okay? You get a grade based on what you deserve. You go to work. You go and you slave behind a desk and you do whatever you're told to do and you are rewarded with a paycheck, right? This is how it works. You catch two touchdowns in the Super Bowl and you are rewarded with an MVP just like Cooper Cup. This is how our world works. Religion is the same way. Religion says if you clean up your life, if you work really hard to learn the right things, if you are good enough, then you'll be rewarded by God's love. And this is where the gospel is so radical. Because our faith, the gospel says our faith is not based on what we do. It's not based on what we accomplish. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And because it is so radical, man, we're so quick to revert back to the ways of the world, right? It is so challenging for us to think, I'm not going to base my identity on what I do. I'm going to base it on what Christ has done. It is such a challenge for us to live this out. This is why Paul is saying, listen, see to it. See to it that no one takes you captive by these things. Right? We might say, sure, we are saved by grace. But for many of us in this room, we are so quick to revert back to our own strength, to what we can accomplish. So I'm going to be a good Christian because I learned all these things, because I've done all these things. And we build a resume and say, look how good I am. Everybody should applaud me because I'm such a good Christian. In fact, there was a friend that helped us plant the church nine years ago, a friend of mine. I love this guy. He's a great guy, but he had some rough spots in his character. And I remember one day he comes to me and he says, hey, can we meet for lunch? And I'm like, absolutely, man. He's like, he's like, Pastor, hey, I, I'm dealing with some stuff in my life. I'm trying to overcome some stuff, and I got a question for you. And I'm like, go for it. He said, when are you going to start preaching deeper? And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, well, every week you preach the gospel. You come back to what Jesus has done for, for me, which is great. But he said, I'm already Christian. I want you to go deeper so I can learn the secrets to living the Christian life. That's what Paul is talking about right here. He's saying the power of God is not found in philosophy. It's not found in tradition. It's not found in our hyper-spirituality. The power of God is not found by, by performing miracles. The power of God is not found in, in, in what we can accomplish in our own strength. It's found in the gospel. In fact, in fact the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 3, he says, Why are you so foolish, having begun your faith in the Spirit? 
right? Having trust, having begun your faith by trusting in God, are you now perfected in the flesh? Having begun your faith by, by trusting what Jesus has done for you, are you now made mature by what you can accomplish in your own strength? Paul's saying, why are you so quickly turning away from faith in Jesus to faith in yourself, to faith in your strength, to faith in what you can accomplish in your own? See, the secret to accessing the power of God in our life, both for salvation and for every part of our Christian life, is that the power of God is not found in what we can accomplish. It's not found in our own strength. It's not found in us trying harder to overcome issues. The power of God is found in the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. And I let us be in a people that rest our hearts in life in that. That we rest our life in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In fact, look at what Paul says in verse 9 and 10 of Colossians chapter 2. He says, in him, in Jesus, in Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells. And you are filled with him who is ahead of all rule and authority. See, what I just said is Jesus is God in the flesh. Everything that it means to be God, Jesus has access to all of that. That is who Jesus is. He is a fullness of God in the flesh. And what Paul is saying is that when you and I receive the gospel, when we become a Christian, again, not because of our own strength, but because we place our faith in Jesus, when you place your faith in him, you are filled with Jesus, who's the fullness of God. So because of the gospel, you have access to God, to the fullness of God in your life. You don't need anything else. You are already connected to the one who's ahead of all rulers, of all authority, of all power, of all creation. When you're a Christian and you have access to the Son, Jesus Christ, you have access to the fullness of God. Because of that relationship with him. You don't need anything else. All you need is a relationship with Jesus. And that's where the power of God comes from. How crazy is that? How, how amazing is that? As we sit here thinking, man, how do I change? How do I overcome these issues? Like Paul just said, you have access to God's power because of your relationship with Jesus. See, this morning we're talking about how do we grow as a Christian? How do we overcome our struggles? How do we overcome our sin? How do we find abundant life? How do we find that, that freedom that God offers? And what Paul is saying is, is if we understand the gospel, the gospel is not just good news to get us saved. The gospel is not just good news uh, that unbelievers can be saved from the penalty of sin. The gospel is good news that Jesus not only saves us from sin, but he delivers us from slavery to sin. In fact, I say, here's, here's a summary of this whole message. Here's what Paul is trying to say to us this morning. It's the gospel is the key. The gospel is the foundation, the, 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 the driving force to us living the whole Christian life. That if we want all, we want to experience all that God has for us, 
It is found as we root our life in the gospel. And that is why here at Restoration Church, I say that we are a gospel people. Because the gospel is a power of God to become a Christian. And the gospel is a power of God in the here and now for us actually living out our faith. In fact, some of you are sitting there saying, okay, well, I get it. We're a gospel people. What does this actually look like? So I'm going to I want to show you from Scripture. I want you to see what this looks like, how this plays out, how the gospel impacts our every day as we're looking to follow him, as we're looking to be obedient to him, as we're looking to overcome sin. Here's how this plays out. Think about your life. What struggle do you have? What is a struggle in your life that you say, I'd love to overcome this? Maybe it's a habit that you know is not good. Maybe it's an ongoing sin. Maybe you're saying, I want to I grow deeper in my faith. I want to grow deeper and become more mature. Maybe you're saying, I wanna, I've got this desire to maybe overcome pride or anxiety or fear. Maybe you're saying, well, I keep reading that Jesus said I came to give you abundant life. I want to experience some abundant life. I don't feel like I've had that yet. What is it that you want to think about in your life? Because when you recognize that need for change, at least for me, one of the first things that Satan does is when I realize there's an area of my life I need to change. The first thing, the first thing that Satan does, man, he sure hits me with a lot of shame. He sure hits me with a guilt trap. Anybody been there? Where you're like, man, I've got this issue in my life. I know I'm not where I need to be. And it feels like Satan just points his fingers at me and like, look at you, you're such a failure. Look at you, you're not, you're not worth anything. You can't even overcome this issue. Anybody else experience that? See, one of the names for Satan in Scripture is that he is the accuser of the brethren. And so what Satan does is he makes us feel really guilty. He makes us feel really bad about our sin. And he makes us think, you know, you're the only one who struggles with this. You're the only one who has this problem. Look how bad of a person you are. And we get embarrassed and we think, Man, God must be angry with me. God must be disappointed in me. Man, why, why am I such a failure? But you see, the gospel, the gospel reminds us that our sin has been paid for. The gospel reminds us that our sin has been paid for once and all. I mean, this is why Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So listen, you're looking at this issue in your life and you're feeling guilt over it. You're feeling shame over it. Listen, Jesus just said there's no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ, there's no, God's not angry with you. God's not going to yell at you. He's not going to shame you. There is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Because when you became a Christian, when you placed your faith in Jesus, your sin was paid for in past, in present, and in future. And so the gospel becomes this beautiful reminder that God does not love you on the degree in which you are good. God loves you to the degree which you are in Christ Jesus, which is 100% always. Grace doesn't stop once you become a Christian. God's grace continues to pour out to you after you place your faith in him throughout your whole life. 
And so as we sit here feeling bad about my life and my junk and we feel like, man, I'll never change. Listen, listen, we need to be reminded the gospel says there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment towards us. And then we're reminded of that grace. Look what the apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter two. He said, it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. See, God's not here to, to judge you. He's not here to shame you, to belittle you, to, to force you to, to, to change your life, to force you to overcome things. It's when we experience his kindness. It's when we experience his love. It's when we experience his grace. It's when we realize, hey, man, I might be struggling with some stuff, but Scripture says there's no condemnation. That is the grace of God. We experience his grace. That is what changes us. That is what motivates us to, to make these changes in our life. Not because we're guilty, not because we have shame, not because we're embarrassed, because of the kindness of God found through the gospel. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that there's not things we have to do. There's things we got to do. We got to make some decisions. We got to choose to get rid of some stuff in our life. We got to choose to overcome but the fuel for us to live the Christian life, the fuel, the motivation, the, the power for us to change doesn't come from our own strength. doesn't come from our own wisdom. It comes from God. In fact, in, in John 15, Jesus said this, whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, it makes me think, how many of us have been in the situation where we're like, hey, I need to change. I need to overcome this issue. I need to do whatever. And we try really hard. We're like, man, I can't do this. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not overcoming my issue. The issue is still there. I'm, I'm still struggling. I keep failing. Because we're trying in our own strength. When we try in our own strength, we're bound to fail because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is why we have to rest in Christ and rest in what he's done for us. Because when we're leaning into him, we're leaning into his power, and that is where we start seeing success. That is where we start seeing some of our, our issues overcome. That's when we see change. When we lean into him, into his, his, into a relationship with him, into his power, that is where we start seeing that success. They're thinking about how this plays out. Some of us will say, well, my relationships are in struggle. My marriage is on the rocks. There's a lot of people that tell you, Here, how, here's how you fix your marriage. Here's how you fix these relationships. But you know the very simplest thing to do that has got tremendous power in your relationships, in your marriage, that would transform any relationship. We talked about it last week, is simply to love outrageously. And it's often too hard. But look what Philippians chapter 2 says. Philippians chapter 2 says that we are to have the same attitude that is like Jesus. We are to count others more significant than ourselves. Look not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are to humble ourselves and serve other people. Do you know that I would guess that every marriage that's on the rocks could be transformed 
if we lived out that simple gospel principle. If we looked at our relationships and said, hey, this relationship, it's not about meeting my needs. It's not about, about me feeling good about myself, but this relationship is about me giving of myself, putting my spouse's needs above my own. Like this is the power of God through the gospel. This isn't, this isn't five steps to make your life better. This isn't you've got to be some different person. This is simply that we lean into what Jesus has done for us. We take on the attitude that's of Christ Jesus, that we consider others more significant than ourselves. And that's where the power of God comes from. Think about those of us that struggle with fear and anxiety. We look at our world around us and feel like, man, I'm losing control. My kids are going off in crazy directions. The, the world, there's, there's World War III starting in Ukraine and Russia. There's all this stuff happening, COVID and all these other things happening. I feel like I'm just losing control and I'm filled with fear and anxiety. Do you know the gospel speaks to that? See, in Romans 8, 28, it says, we know because of the gospel, because Jesus has defeated the worst that could come. We know that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. How great is that? Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isaiah 43 says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, called you by your name. You are mine. Like, 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 do you recognize how incredible that is? As we struggle with fear and anxiety, God, how do I overcome this? The absence of fear is not us trying to, to cling for control. It's when we're reminded again and again and again of who is in control. We might not understand it. We might not grasp what's happening in Ukraine. But we know the one who is in control. We know the one who is sovereign, working things out that we don't understand. And as we're reminded of who is in control, as we're reminded that even when things looked at the worst, I mean, here's Jesus dying on the cross. Remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The disciples, they were in fear and they ran away, afraid. Hey, everything's lost. The enemies of Satan, the enemies of God, they're celebrating. Yeah, we won, we defeated, we killed Jesus. God never lost control for a moment. God brought life from the grave. And if he can do that, then certainly, certainly, we know that he is at work today. Whatever situation you're going through, you might not understand, you might not feel like you have control, but I'll tell you the one who does, he's God. Church, I tell you what, I love you. You know, as I look out, I see so many of you, I know your life. I know your, your story. And I want you, I want you to experience the best of what God has for you. I want to see God at work in your life. I want you to experience that freedom, the abundant life that Jesus says he came to give us. But as a pastor, I'll just confess my limitations. I don't have all the answers. I don't have five steps to make your life easier. I don't have four steps to, to freedom. I can't, I'll tell you what, I've tried some of that and I can't tell you how many messes I've made of my own life. 
But what I can do this morning, and what I want to do every time that we are together, is to point you back to the gospel. To point you back to the power of what Jesus has done for you. Because the power of God for the here and now, the power of the God, that's not the result of us trying harder. The power of God is available to us as we believe better. As we believe bigger and deeper and brighter ways of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And I can't say for you, but I'll say for me, I need to hear that message again and again and again and again because I am so forgetful. I am so forgetful. Sure, I'll I'll believe by grace, but then I quickly revert back to what do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish? See, church ought to be the place. Church ought to be the place that we come together and hear the gospel again and again and again. We ought to be a people that when we see one of us struggling, we see one of us dealing with some issues, we ought to be a people not to judge one another, not to shame one another, not to criticize one another, not to belittle one another. We ought to be a people who point each other back to the gospel because that's where change happens. That's where change happens. I want to close with just a quote from a woman by the name of Elise Fitzpatrick who's a prolific author and counselor. And she said this, most of us have never really understood that Christianity is not a self-help religion meant to enable moral people to become more moral. Now we don't need another self-help book. We need a savior. We don't need to get our act together. We need the death and the resurrection, and the life-transforming truths of the gospel. We don't need it just once at the beginning of our Christian life. We need it every moment of every day. And that is why I say we pray gospel. Let's pray.